1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560. The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, last night's Republican presidential debate in Miami. Uh started out uh, a little chippy. I got to say, somebody was bound to do it. Vivek Ramaswamy <laughs> was... Uh, vivek Ramaswamy. Oh, get people so hyped up on uh, the it? proper vivek, pronunciation. Vivek? Yeah. Uh, vivek. 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 Vive, vivek. Uh, he listened Ram- to the show
2: yesterday because he did exactly what you said to do.
0: It was bound... Somebody was bound to go after the moderators at some point. And, um, yeah... Ramaswamy seemed like the likely candidate, Uh, but uh, he did a little bit more than I expected out of the gate. Didn't just go after the moderators, also went after the RNC per the disappointing results on Tuesday night. Why
3: would you, uh, why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here, and I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. Is it cancer in the Republican establishment? Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters <laughs> in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there cheering for losing in the Republican Party. because this media rigged the 2016 election. They rigged the 2020 election with the Hunter Biden laptop story. Swanee, and they're going to rig your, this election. Your time is up. Accountability. Let me turn That's to Governor
0: Christie. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 646-36DA, turnkey.pro, text line, Kristen Welker, go. That might have been my
2: favorite line of the night. And she looks so struggling. Who, me? Are you talking to me like she was... How she could was they trying not to smile that... it off i know but how could they not see that coming
0: well you know so the Ronna mcdaniel thing look it's uh, he, obviously everyone knows what the results are they are what they are over the last several cycles as ramaswamy delineated it's not all uh on Ronna mcdaniel's uh doesn't all the responsibility doesn't uh fall on her but But the larger point about accountability and the leadership of the Republican Party, I mean, we're very familiar with the lack of it in Illinois, and uh, it's a bad look for any organization, and it results in the disintegration of the organization. So there's legitimate uh, uh, complaints to be lodged. I would have maybe focused more on Welker and the choice that Ramaswamy made uh, to um, the, the choice, excuse me, that Ron and McDaniel made to partner with NBC. I, and that's where you heard all the applause. And by the way, um, Rogan, Elon Musk, and Tucker Carlson. I, I don't know about all three of them, maybe one or two of them. But I'm yeah, I, one, all I, frankly, <laughs> I, our friend Hugh Hewitt, uh, who did a fine job last night, he could have done the whole thing by himself. You didn't need Welker and Lester Holt.
2: No, he did not. Three one two six four two five six zero zero Turnkey 5600 turnkey.pro, answer line, 64636, type in DA then. A quick comment is much more watchable than the second debate. That's for sure. People were more measured, not screaming on talking all over each other.
0: Well, the rules were different. It was more. It was more orderly because the rules were different, and unless you were personally attacked, you didn't get a chance. There were, you know, there was some exchange. So it was, it was, but it also made it a little bit more um, of a struggle. I mean. For all the talk about, you know, from the pundit class, this conventional pundit class, for all the talk about how this was such such a much more substantive debate and this and that. You know what? Um, Not really. Not really. I mean, most of the quote-unquote substance, what uh, the pundits and the consultants call substance, was just um, five candidates basically repeating more or less the same positions. I mean, you had— the first, after that little foray by Ramaswamy, you had the first fifteen minutes was, who is going to talk tougher on Hamas, and in support of Israel than the next candidate?
2: Right, and they all did. I mean, they were all strong. I thought.
0: So how how much utility was, uh, you know, how much utility did that did, did that generate?
2: Well, who do you um, think won the debate? If I, I, don't, I, lose, I, I, know. I, I don't, I, play I don't play those schoolyard I mean, the, games.
0: The, 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 uh, so this is, I mean, this is Haley and DeSantis competing for who can be the finalist against Trump. But the the bigger question is, did you see anything last night from the candidates that would suggest that one of them is about to emerge and uh, present a real threat to Trump? Where where we're two le- two months uh, removed from the Iowa caucus? That's that's the question. Anybody? do you think is about to take off and we're going to have a real race here? Or are people just running for vice president and second place? That's the larger question. You could, I like DeSantis. I like Haley. I like Ramaswamy. That's all well and good. And we can go point counterpoint on it and happy to do that. But did you see anything that has the potential to change the nature of the contest, which is the point?
2: I thought DeSantis did a good job. You know, coming out swinging against trump I, he seemed more comfortable up there and more like a leader
4: this country is in trouble and the elites that have put us here they don't care about you they don't care that you're having to grapple with higher grocery prices or have higher gas prices they don't care that your family's less secure because of the open border that's allowed drugs and even terrorists to come into this country well i care I am not going to sit idly by and let this country continue its downward spiral. We need leadership, and we need it now. I'll take the hits. I'll take the arrows. I'll take the slings, because ultimately it's not about me. It's about you. I will fight for you. I will make sure to lead uh, this country's revival.
0: I I mean, I believe DeSantis. I like DeSantis. He's done an excellent job. As governor of Florida, all the things I've said before, but I mean that just um Yeah. Yeah. I mean I, I, I yeah.
2: I know. He uh, seems you're... genuine to me. Well, I, I think and it's maybe genuine. Not, I don't feel like I'm getting fooled. I just think that he really cares and
0: Yeah. No. I mean do you think that do you think that moment for DeSantis that those remarks are going to change anything? No. It represents a reconsideration from um those who are supporting Nikki Haley, forget Trump, those who are supporting Nikki Haley, those supporting uh, Ramaswamy, those support uh, and the undecided. Do you think that's that's like the moment decide. that they're going to start to gravitate towards DeSantis? I don't think so.
2: 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line.
0: We've we've heard we've heard it before. I mean, it it feels like. It just feels like DeSantis sort of still hasn't really found his creed, corps, his rallying cry. It feels like he's presenting um, a very polished, competent executive, and the Republican Party is looking for William Wallace. You see the difference?
2: Text messages. I love Vivek. He was giving it to Welker.
0: Uh, I, that was a fun moment. I mean, I expected somebody to go after the, uh, the moderators, particularly Welker, because of her, uh, you know, horrific record as a propagandist. But to to, it, to do it out of the gate before she even asked a, a question
5: and, and have her
0: what? hold her to account for the Russian collusion uh, propagandizing—that was that was fun.
2: And then it get all boring from then. Uh.
0: Carl, Big Cabin, Oklahoma.
2: Hey, uh, I. Got-
0: First of all, the Republicans
6: need to get off their little soundbite thing and get on to what policies they're going to put
7: forth. I get nothing from them. Now, I'm curious. You know, the Simpsons had uh, Trump come down the escalator 20 years before he ran. Are you writing for the Simpsons now? Because you (laughs) knew
8: Vivek was going to say that.
0: (laughs) Well, I didn't know. Thanks for the call. I didn't know exactly what he was going to say. And like I said, I didn't expect him to be – to, uh, you know, open up uh, the program with that. But um, I had a feeling, I mean, he, he's a risk taker. He knows he needs to be. He's trying to sort of recreate what Trump uh, did in 2016. It's not going to happen for a variety of reasons we'll discuss.
1: It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560 If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy uh, doing a little bit of debate postmortem. mortem 312 312-642-5600, Turnkey.pro, answer line. 646-36-DA, pro text. And I just want to say one more thing about my favorite moment in the debate, which was uh, right at the outset. Uh, Vivek... Ramaswamy, did I I pronounce it right? Vivek? Vivek? Vivek. Vivek, Cake. Somebody said
2: it's cake, Dan and Amy. Vivek.
0: I I, I know what it is. We're having fun. (laughs) I know. I'm (laughs) not talking about you. I'm talking about these people People. that are like so, you know, idiosyncratic and and venal. (laughs) We're, We're having fun. By the way, having fun with somebody's name gives them more Publicity uh, about their candidacy. Remember how much fun people had trying to learn how to pronounce Blagojevich, for example. Oh, yeah. I mean, so j- just chill out, Ramaswamy supporters. Stop being so humorless. Yeah, uh, Vivek, your candidate certainly isn't. But the um, the why I thought that best moment. I thought that was the best moment. It just Kristen Go, <laughs> just freeze it there because it, it immediately evokes go. exactly what he said, which everybody saw. Yeah. But it's more than just because it was fun. It was demonstrative. It's easy to say in an abstract way, the elites this and the D.C. press corps that. That was a moment in public view where a, a, a apparatchik like Kristen Welker had nowhere to hide. Where Ramaswamy provided a emperor has no clothes illustration. And why are those important? Because it's it, it provides a real-world example, a concrete example for people. Do not be afraid of these flimsy elites. You have nothing to fear. And it's a good moment for Ramaswamy to say, to demonstrate that he is willing to put it between people's eyes, maybe more than some people would like in certain cases, including... Uh, some of his uh, uh, competitors. But nonetheless, that it, so it was a good moment, not just because it was fun, but there was also some real substance there. There's was a real illustration, and you don't have, always get those kind of illustrations. Normally it's the abstractions, which are a lot less compelling.
2: Well, it was and a long a lot time le- coming. And have a
0: lot less resonance.
2: Sorry for interrupting, but it was a long time coming. I mean, that was built up for all of us. I think collectively he said what everybody wanted him to say.
0: Yeah. And by the way, Emperor Has No Clothes, and that includes your party elites, too, who made the uh, improper decision to partner with NBC in the first place. And by the way, I I saw some of the commentary about, you know, NBC then partnering with Salem. Uh, That would be us, our Our, company, with Hugh Hewitt being our representative, who did a a fine job, as I said. But the... um, the, the commentaries, you know, NBC is really uh, jeopardizing its journalistic credibility by partnering with Salem and this and that. And NBC responding, We've, uh, access- we have we uh, have total editorial control and so on and yeah. so forth. Uh, this is exactly the point that Doug Truax, we talked to yesterday, Restoration Pack was making, Ramaswamy made, many others made, we made. Uh, why? Why are you making this choice? Uh, Gutfeld, Tucker, Elon um The uh, commentators and reporters for any number of conservatives, Selena Zito, our friend Selena Zito, uh, who writes for Washington Examiner and other outlets. There's so many names that we could go through that you've heard on this show.
2: I know. And here's one headline. CNN media reports reporter accuses NBC of helping to elevate and normalize far right wing outlets. Exactly. Like Salem media. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And so that's that's the thanks that uh, uh, the RNC provides for conservative uh, media outlets. That's the thanks is to just uh, do exactly what they're saying that uh, NBC did. We're legitimizing Democrat operatives pretending to be journalists like Kristen Welker. Why? I mean, there wasn't that many moments where it was like so – it was like over the top in terms of uh, either Holt or Welker asking on for questions or getting after a particular candidate. It was pretty vanilla, yeah. their questioning, pretty open-ended. But that's not the point. The point is you want it to be a comfortable environment, generally speaking, although it provides moments like Ramaswamy had. But you want it to be a comfortable environment where people can really get more of a sense of the dimensions of the candidates. And, you know, I don't know that with, a, with the exception of a few moments, that was the case yesterday. Uh, the other uh, moment that uh, uh, people immediately reacted to, myself included, was this uh, exchange between Haley and Ramaswamy on TikTok usage. Oh, yeah. And the question was essentially about, you know, would you, the candidates, ban TikTok? Uh, Ironically, uh, they get done talking tough on the Chinese Communist Party and TikTok. And then the first commercial uh, during the debate is TikTok. (laughs) People caught that. Uh, The irony abounds. But anyway, uh, so uh, Haley has been critical of Vivek talking tough on the Chinese Communist Party, saying he would ban TikTok while he campaigns on TikTok. And that led to this
3: talked about this. You campaign on TikTok. How do you get TikTok banned if you use it? Well, I, I, I want to laugh at why Nikki Haley didn't answer your question, which is about looking at families in the eye. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my before daughter, out to of your voice. Adult daughter. The next generation of Americans are using it. And that's actually the point. You have her supporters propping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're just the scum. easy answer.
0: You're just scum. 312-642-5600, line 646-36DA, pro text line. Uh, how did you feel about that exchange?
2: I mean, as a mom, I would see exactly what Nikki Haley said. Leave her out of your voice. And he is scum. That was a moment for him. He didn't need to do that. I don't know what his problem is. He's trying to act like such the tough guy. You know, everything had to be about him. And to attack her daughter, like, of course, have, all of our children are on TikTok. Well, most of them are. I shouldn't say all of it. And she, you know, her daughter's. I think she's, she's over 18. So she can make her own decisions. She's a young adult. Most young adults are on TikTok or Snapchat or on some form of social media. But obviously TikTok is the focus because they believe China's using it to spy on us and take over the world. But yeah, I was, I mean, I I would have probably lost lost it more than she did. I thought Nikki Haley was very composed in her counterattack on him. Did you like it, Dan? Um,
0: I wouldn't have done it the way that Ramaswamy did, uh, but I think it's a the 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 um, castigation of Ramaswamy over it is a little overheated. I would have said, you know, Haley, you have Nikki, Haley, you have family members who use TikTok, so I mean, yeah, I use TikTok. You you use what's available, but I'd be happy to stop using it. As long as we could get everybody else to stop using it. Um, and the, the way you do that is to prohibit it uh, through federal government action, uh, deplatform it in the United States. So that's the way I would have gone rather than singling out. Um, yeah, but, but also
2: you said you might want to take care of your family first as if she's some bad mom or something when she's the only woman up there. I don't know. I just – Yeah,
0: I, well, that – right. I me, think that, that was that, a little – well, the take care of your family first, uh, yeah, that did have that implication. It's also, as you mentioned, she's an adult. So, I mean, yeah, what, what you, you're supposed right. to tell your adult kids not to be on TikTok, I mean, and, and be held responsible for it. It, it. I said, I wouldn't have done it the way that he did it, but um, your scum,
2: uh, mm, I don't know. She's a little bit better than that, too. I <laughs>
0: Um. So that was a moment. Let like, uh, Let me tell you. Get, so, so if, if people want to talk about that, I don't know. I don't know how much there's to talk about it. But of course, everybody's hand wringing about it because anytime there's name calling and that kind of testy exchange, and then oh my gosh, they didn't shake hands after the debate. And her daughter's
2: on the stage. Oh my god, what's gonna happen? <laughs> I
0: mean, but to, I mean, this is what people really care about. It's like, right. uh well, Nikki Haley and and Ramaswamy, will they? Shake hands afterwards. We're we we're, we're monitoring them. We're watching them. Uh, we've got There's Ramaswamy nobody. with his wife and his kid on stage, and Nikki Haley with her daughter. They're moving about. One is over there. One. I mean, it's just it, that was, that was get the a,
2: funny part, the funniest play by play after a debate I've ever seen. Why don't that you that get the telestrator out?
0: Another. You know, I mean. Um, and the other was, uh, oh. oh, we now see who Tim Scott's girlfriend oh. is. Uh,
2: he Tim Scott was standing up there by himself for so long. I felt so bad for him. He was up there for a while, and I, I... felt
0: wor- I felt worse for him when he had to interact with uh, Chris Christie. But, <laughs> but I mean, I so this is what you know. You get all of the. Uh, discussion about rather than, you know, for all the people who talk so much about, I want to hear their policy views and I want to be able to distinguish and where's the daylight between all the candidates on this issue and that issue. Look, there's Tim Scott's
2: girlfriend. She's a tall blonde.
0: Uh, Yeah, I guess she's like a, I mean, she's been reported on before, so it's not late breaking news here, but she's like a a real estate person in Charleston, I think. Yeah. Okay, great. Good for him. Um, And, you know, again, Tim Scott, Never been married
2: that's why you love him.
0: <laughs> I love him for that and uh, some of the reasons he had a he had a couple of good moments. He was right on uh college campuses, the sure. ignorance being perpetrated on college campuses by administrators, professors, and students alike um, we maybe we should think about stopping to subsidize them all, yeah um Go where the money is, and by the way, uh, Jason Smith, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, has announced they're going to at least explore that process to put some meat to that bone that uh, that uh, Tim Scott raised. Uh, this is uh, Jason Smith. Yesterday, on with McCallum. We're actually going to be holding a committee
10: hearing a week from today. We'll be announcing that. Well, I guess I just announced that. But um, that what we have been finding out, and of course we handle the tax code, being the Ways and Means Committee, is all the tax treatments that, of course, you see uh, universities have, whether it's these huge billion-dollar endowments. Um, it, it's It's quite alarming how they are looking at preferred speech rather than freedom of speech. And we have found in a lot of these five oh one C organizations that in fact are sending money to terrorist organizations. Um and so this is something we're gonna have to fix in the tax code. We should not be using tax benefits to fund terrorism, especially terrorism overseas.
0: You know what's funny about Jason Smith, just as a quick aside? Yeah. You, you've seen him before, right? Seen him on TV and stuff. Mm-hmm. His voice doesn't fit his body. No. He's one of those oh. guys where the voice <laughs> is surprising. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't fit. It doesn't. Well, but anyway, um, so two things there. One is colleges, universities, um, your tax-exempt endowments and so forth, not to mention those federally subsidized tuition. Um and research grants and so forth. And then secondly, C3 organizations that are used to funnel money to terrorist organizations. This is something that actually none of the candidates picked up on. They should have gone one step further than Scott did and also mentioned. They mentioned Confucius Institutes when they talked about the, communist, the Chinese Communist Party. They forgot to mention that we also will prohibit universities from accepting billions of dollars from state sponsors of terror or save havens for terror like Qatar. Uh, as we have now documented, and we have been witnessing with Hamas leadership resting comfortably in Qatar, while that, uh, the the rank and file terrorists right. committed those atrocities on October seventh. So Ham- that would have been that was something I thought that the candidates missed.
2: And Hamas is winning the PR war because of universities, because of the professors that are supporting them, and then uh, getting and then the pr- protesters that are out there on the streets. At
0: least among the young, yeah, yeah, definitely
2: mm-hmm. winning the PR war.
0: Um, crazy. Oh, real quick, we got a text go message. Uh, yeah,
2: Dan and Amy, Nikki Haley should have slapped him Will Smith style. <laughs> that, would have, that would have lightened things up a lot. You get your, your daughter out, out of your my mouth.
0: Yeah, <laughs> whack. Um, that would have been fun. Uh, I would have been. I would have been down for that. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, I, I, would I get have done it. That, but. Um, one more uh, of my favorite moments, and then we'll take yours, too. Uh, this uh, Tim Scott again. And uh, I thought it was very, very nice of Tim Scott to exta- explain to Lester Holt how the economics in the energy sector actually work
11: we have an opportunity as Americans to actually export the surplus energy that we create in our nation and disconnect from China and from murderous dictators and tyrants around your, your the world. Your time is up, but let me just follow up. Sure. The idea of pumping gas, of, of turning on pipelines, that doesn't put, make gas cheaper that day. I'm talking about you become president, What can you do specifically to help people feel better about their situation or be better with their situation? Well, actually, it does, to be honest with you. The way that the economy works is it works on the ability to anticipate (laughs) excess supply versus the demand. When that happens... Confidence drives our prices down because we know there's going to be a greater surplus. When you allow for those who have leases to actually start drilling, to start using those leases for for more energy excavation, you put our economy in the strongest position. And as a result of that, prices start going down. That is the kind of economy that as president of the United States, I would lead this.
0: So, uh, Lester, here's how the economy works, the private economy. I know you don't believe in it. Because the nature of that question, how do you reduce prices on day one? What is Lester Holt looking for? Government action. Not in terms of freeing up the private sector in, our, in its productive capacity, but in terms of, hey, are you going to come in and what, nationalize the oil industry and put price caps on uh, the price of gas? That, that's the the whole that's the the mindset of the government press corps is all things run through the government. And it's through government diktats that you provide relief or benefits to the American people rather than through the unleashing of our free enterprise system, which is what Tim Scott had to explain to Lester Holt. I love that moment. It's not going to get any play because it is substantive and it's indicative of the uh, dichotomy. In worldviews between the left and conservatives,
2: and he but, schooled him in a very uh, gentleman way. Yeah,
0: it was. I thought that was that was good. Bob in Buffalo Grove, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
12: Uh, good morning, uh, Dan and Amy. Off to another great start today.
0: That's
8: what we yeah, do. Yeah, I,
12: uh, I love the vivid uh, comment. Uh, too bad the other candidates didn't uh, jump on it also. And then today, I'll be watching commentary news. And I wonder if I'll address uh, Vivek's little comment with regards to the uh, news media. Uh, One more soundbite you got to play is Vivek's interchange with uh, Haley with regards to her high heels in Ukraine. Yeah,
0: yeah. thanks for the call, Bob. All right, we'll get to—all right, one more, Ramaswamy. This is uh, uh, Ramaswamy on— during the discussion about uh, support for Israel. And he wasn't just talking about Nikki Haley.
3: I would tell him to smoke those terrorists on his southern border. And then I'll tell him as president of the United States, I'll be smoking the terrorists on our southern border. (laughs) That's his responsibility. This is our responsibility. That's how we move forward. But I want to be careful to avoid making the mistakes from the neocon establishment of the past. Corrupt politicians in both parties spent trillions, killed millions, made billions for themselves in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, fighting wars that sent thousands of our sons and daughters, people my age to die, in wars that did not advance anyone's interests, adding $7 trillion to our national debt. And Joe Biden sold off our foreign policy. Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, got a $5 million bribe from Ukraine. That's why we're sending $200 billion back to that same country. The fact of the matter is, the Republican Party is not that much better. You have the likes of Nikki Haley, who stepped down from her time at the UN, bankrupt or in debt is, was her family, then she becomes a military contractor, she joins the board of Boeing and otherwise, and is now a multimillionaire. So I think that that's wrong when Republicans do it or Democrats do it. That's the choice we face. Do you want a leader from a different generation who's going to put this country first? Or do you want Dick Cheney in three inch heels? All right, Mr. In which Ron case DeSantis we've got Swamy. two of them on stage, Mr. Thank
0: you. People didn't catch that in case we got two of them on stage. Right. Because you're talking about Ron DeSantis and the whole cowboy boots controversy. Controversy in quotation marks.
2: Know, that's so ridiculous.
0: <laughs> Dick yeah, cowboy Cheney. boots. Oh Dick Cheney in three inch heels.
2: Uh, okay. All right. Well, uh, I think who won the debate was somebody who was 20 minutes away. And that's President Trump. I will
8: also quickly cancel the student visas of all Hamas sympathizers on college campuses. Which have been infested with radicalism like never before. College campuses. On day one, I will stop the invasion of our southern border. We will stop it. One point, think of this.
2: I mean, it's so true. I don't care what he tweets anymore, what clowns he has surrounded himself with. When he was in charge... We had a secure border. We weren't involved or funding two wars and inflation was low.
0: Mm -hmm. Life was so much better. I mean, that's, you know, the same thing he made about visas is a statement. Ron DeSantis, I think, was the first one who made it, proposed it. But yeah, I get it. I mean, that's my point with DeSantis and and Haley uh, battling it out for second place this late in the game, this close to the first caucus. Um, It puts Trump in a strong position, a strong position he'll maintain after last night, I suspect.
1: It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Got uh, three commentaries on Chicago for you. The Pettiford family in Beverly. A uh, stolen car on the north side of the city. And the old Mike Ditka's restaurant downtown. Uh, Let's start in Beverly. A mom and 12-year-old daughter come home.
2: From volleyball.
0: uh, Park the car in the garage and then this happens give me
2: she's yelling there in my purse because i kept saying give us your keys give us your keys
0: well, uh two two guys uh roll up on her and her daughter daughter 12 year old daughter runs in the house uh she is accosted before she can get to the door and uh by the way one of them Uh, has – they're both armed. One of them has a gun with an extended clip. You know, when are we going to get some common-sense gun laws in Chicago?
2: They threw her to the ground. She's screaming for her life, so Um, scared of what's going to happen.
0: Fortunately, uh, no one was hurt. Um, And so that's just an armed robbery. That just goes in uh, Comstat as one armed robbery. Uh, uh, Murders are still down. Shootings are still down. They're – so that's just big city living. 312-642-5600 turnkey.pro insurance line, 646-363-DA turnkey.pro
2: text line. I, I know they weren't harmed physically cuz then her husband Jeff ran out and gave them the keys. Um but she's changed forever. The nighttime is really hard. Like I don't want to go outside.
13: I don't want to go I in go in waves
10: of like being okay and being not okay, I'm trying to stay
13: strong. my kids
2: and her husband i mean he's just talking about how this is more you know than well i'll let him say it
11: the carjacking isn't just somebody stealing a car but then when you see something like that and see the trauma that it causes a family a wife a daughter then it becomes more real
0: yeah is it real now uh on the uh on the uh uh, to assailants, the
11: screen you know they talk about blood curdling and all that, but that coming from your daughter you you don't ever wanna hear it. I'll never forget that that sound when they came at me and I looked at them that they were not they weren't afraid. I mean, I'm not small, I came running directly at them, and the thought wasn't, oh no, let's get out of here it's let's turn around and potentially shoot this person three one, two six, four
2: two five six zero zero. Turnkey Pro Answer Line. You can also reach us on our text line six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. I told you, one of my neighbors, she had a gun pointed at her head. They wanted, they followed her home from an ATM, went into the garage in Lakeview, and she said they had no soul. Like you could see through, like there, there was nothing there in their eyes. They were young kids.
0: Well, uh, the obvious question is, how did we fail those young men? Those, uh, I'm sure, at one point, honor students. Right. What have what is it we're not doing?
2: We failed them. Kim Fox failed them with their policies because if there's no rules. There's chaos. And this is chaotic. This is what happens when you don't set boundaries. You said it yesterday. Kids want rules. They want discipline. And I know that firsthand. I mean, they want structure. They want a schedule. And without, you know, there's no consequences for their actions. So they're just going to keep doing it. Why not? Maybe they think it's fun. Gives them something to do, something to participate in.
0: The the scream uh, when that woman was accosted, uh, uh, several individuals stop in the middle of the street on a Sunday afternoon and accost a middle-aged woman on the sidewalk in Lakeview and, uh, you know, robber. And uh, that blood-curdling scream that uh, people remember that I turned into a, a TV ad during the election, and then was excoriated by the Chicago press corps, and of course, all the Democrats. I'm not going to vote for your candidate because uh, of what you did. Okay, all right. I mean, from well, of course they weren't, but 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 that the mentality, right? Like the you, the, the, the the you just
2: showing, lost my vote. Well, I never had it
0: showing, but the mentality showing people what's happening, having them be forced to confront. That attack in Lakeview last year, this attack in Beverly, I don't want to confront it. I I want to be the ostrich. I don't want to believe it's happening until it happens, until it happens to you or somebody you care about. And that's just um, as much of a uh, cultural psychosis in Chicago as the description that Mr. Pettiford had of the criminals. There are multiple psychoses at play in the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois. But Chicagoland really is where it is most pronounced. The screams. Does that does that resonate now when you see it? You have to see it. You can't just read the stories. Or you don't want to see it. You only want to read the stories, or you only want to look at statistics, and if the arrow is going down or up momentarily in one category of Class X felonies, and to try to find some silver lining to say things are getting better. It's not so bad. Tell that to the Pettiford family. Phil and, Rivers and Darian, you're in Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, guys.
3: Listen. Really, what's the problem? You got some uh, overprivileged, hardworking honkies that earned probably everything they have, I'm sure. And you got some underprivileged black and brown. Just, just give them whatever they want. And nothing's going to happen to them anyway. No cash bail. I mean, really, what's, what's the problem here? So the
0: Thanks for the call, Phil. Um, just to that point, let me fold in another commentary on Chicago, since I said we had three.
2: Yeah, what's the other one?
0: Skokie man driving a stolen car suffered a broken nose and a closed head injury after multiple people tracked him down and detained him for Chicago police at a Northside gas station. Cops responded to calls of a battery in progress at the Shell station and Northwestern Avenue. When they arrived, they found multiple people on top of a 29-year-old who had stolen a uh, Palatine a man's car no
2: don't mess with us in the northwest suburbs
0: Uh uh-huh did you see his face yeah they they uh worked him over pretty good yeah they did the um they used lojack to uh track him down and they found him at this gas station and then they took care of business on him Mm -hmm. um so why is that interesting Court records show that this individual completed two years of probation in July for another stolen motor vehicle case. In that incident, prosecutors accused him of breaking into a Skokie auto shop, plowing a Toyota Camry through the garage door, crashing into another car in the lot. He then returned to the garage and drove away with a Mercedes.
2: Oh, he didn't like the Toyota?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Charged with felony possession of a stolen motor vehicle, he was subsequently released from custody to away trial because he's not a danger to the public
2: oh no not at all
0: the safety act
2: but the public was a danger to him he got old schooled
0: is that is that how it's going to be is that how you want it to be
2: i don't want it to be that way but i i feel that man's rage you get your car stolen you know exactly where it is you're going right there
0: Oh, what they did doesn't bother me. Yeah. What uh, what the they did to get their car back and to detain this person until the police came, that doesn't bother me. What bothers me is the underlying dynamic, of course, since the uh, Pritzker purge law was invoked. Just another case. But, hey, well, hey, that's a nonviolent crime, stealing cars. Right. It's a nonviolent crime. Um, he stole that Kia, um, and the previous car he stole was uh, breaking into a Skokie Auto Shop, plowing a Camry through the garage door, crashing into another car. This is a nonviolent crime. I'm taking a Mercedes. These aren't violent individuals.
2: Well, I they're wonder what they're going to they, do with the Beverly guys when they arrest them. They're, they're nonviolent
0: offenders. We're going to also uh, have a majority of the city continue to, sus- to subscribe to that fiction.
2: Nonviolent offenders. Well, we're going to stay on this because if they don't, if they don't hold them, the two Beverly guys that did this to that family, once they get them, hopefully they will. It'll be interesting to see if they let them out on electronic monitoring. Because they didn't pull a trigger. They didn't hit them.
0: Yeah, it's high-profile cases. It's political. Okay. Tony, Riverside.
10: Good morning. I look forward to meeting you on Saturday. You know, some of the adages that I grew up with, like the nuns used to always tell us, idle hands are the devil's workshop. And I know, Amy, you said this is Kim Fox's fault. no. This starts at home. I mean, there's no accountability. There's no responsibility. There's nothing. It's the parents. Period. They don't have to work. They don't have to do anything. They get everything free. Yeah. Idle hands are the devil's workshop.
0: for the call, Tony. Uh, Guy in Blue Island. Hello? Hey, Guy, go ahead.
7: Yeah, good morning, Dan and Amy. I want to get back to the Beverly incident. If the dad came out instead of with the car keys with an AR-15, it would have been a different story.
0: Well, yeah.
2: Well, it could have been a shootout, though, because then there would be – I mean, Lord knows what those guys would have done.
0: Um, I guess that um, Mr. Petticord posted something, uh, or he sent it to a group of individuals, um, and somebody sent it to me. Uh last night Frankie, Michelle and I were carjacked at gunpoint in our backyard. Burke, thank God, was at Saint Ignatius Religious Retreat. We're all physically fine. Uh, two men seemed to have followed Michelle home from picking up Frankie and her friends at uh, volleyball at the Evergreen Athletic Center. They walked up to our driveway, accosted to Michelle just before she reached the back door. Frankie, thank God, was a few feet ahead of Michelle and managed to get inside screaming. She yelled robbers. I ran down the stairs and out the back door. Frankie was nothing less than courageous. She had the peace of mind to slam the door closed, let me know what was happening, and then go upstairs and call 911.
5: Good.
0: Michelle was knocked down. The men yell at her for her keys, as we heard. The men steal her purse, search for the keys. No one can find anything in Michelle's purse, criminals included. As she yelled, the keys are in my purse over and over. They repeatedly pointed their pistols at her, threatening to shoot her, telling her not to look at their face, one being unmasked, one masked, both dressed in all black. Michelle endured minutes that felt like hours of a nightmare. Not thinking, just reacting, I ran out the back door at the men and Michelle. They turned around toward me as I yelled and ran at them. One racked his pistol, and they came toward me with their guns pointed at me. Hmm. One was telling the other to, quote, shoot his ass, unquote. (gasps) I saw the guns, stopped, hands up, offered them my money and wallet, hoping the gun in my face wouldn't be fired. They asked me for keys to open the garage door as they... Uh, brought me across the driveway with a gun to the back of my head. Michelle the same. Eventually, I convinced them not to look for Michelle's keys, but to take my car, which had the keys inside. I told one of the men how to start the car and showed him where the key was as the other pushed Michelle to the ground after she was able to open the garage door. They argued about taking both vehicles. One was calling the other stupid. Oh, my God. They both left in my 2012 Audi A7, maybe worth 12 grand. We went inside. Frankie handed me the phone to speak to the 911 operator. 13 minutes later, the police came. They are pretty relaxed, with no lights, or having dealt with this so often, I guess, has made them routine for many of them. While everyone in my family is physically okay, we have all been impacted for life. For life, yep. emphasis for, by me. Michelle is not okay. Hers, his wife. Frankie has slept with us, his daughter, if you call that sleep, and had me check the doors and windows. Three times for fear these animals are coming back.
2: Uh
0: I'm not going to go into detail and will provide anyone with the video I captured of this horrific scene so all the men in this text can understand precisely what happened. Understand this could have easily been your wife, daughter, son, mother, yourself. The city is no longer discriminating as to where this rampant violence occurs. I ask all of you men who are tasked with protecting your family, when is enough enough? Does that gun have to go off and kill me, you, my daughter, or your wife, your daughter, wife, or son, for us to wake up and do something about this senseless violence? I don't want to share this most vulnerable and scary incident of my life uh, uh, with the public. It's not natural for Michelle and I to to share like this, but we're hoping it can bring some change to our neighborhood and city. If not this and now, then what and when? And uh, he goes on to thank all the neighbors who have expressed support and concern. And um, please hug your family and share this with anyone who needs to hear it.
2: And thank God they they live in. I mean, they love their Beverly neighbors because Michelle thanked them yesterday.
10: Beverly is a really, really unique place where it doesn't matter if you know the person or not. You're going to support them. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: That is a chilling statement you just read from yeah. Jeffrey. Oh, it's but like we were what are, there.
0: What are you talking about? Nobody was injured. It's just a statistic. It just happens in big cities. It's not just happening in Chicago. It's happening elsewhere, too. So, you know.
2: And they'll find his car soon. And it will be used in another crime and then abandoned. It's normally. What happens?
0: And did the, uh, that, uh robbery of the woman in lakeview did that change anything a year ago no more than a year ago a year ago last summer no is this going to change anything no greg in jefferson park
7: hey good morning guys two blocks away from the 16th uh, police district uh last saturday three o'clock in the afternoon um, couple, you know, guys uh, driving around, a bunch of gang bangers. Saw so a guy, asked him what gang he was in. He's like, I'm not in the gang. They shot him in the back twice. So he's currently still uh, still, still, recuperating. And this is, you know, kids in the park, you know, just uh, 100 feet away playing with their families, all, you know, jumping on the ground. They found like 9, 11 shell casings or something. It's just, it's insane. It's never going to end, ever.
5: Have a good one.
0: Well, you know, maybe if they could get uh, jobs that uh, provided a livable wage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kyle sure. and Beverly. Hi, how are you? Wanted to uh, just just a uh, hundred feet
7: away, please. Hello. Yeah, yeah we're go here. Ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I okay. Yeah, no. Just uh, Kyle from Beverly, 3rd and Western. Just wanted to share my deepest sympathies for that family. I'm so sorry they had to go through that, and I thank God that they're okay. I also just like to state that uh, these. This type of stuff with the garages being robbed and all that, it's been going on for a long, long, long time. Mm -hmm. And these people are not from Beverly. They come over from Vincennes and over by the highway by 99th Street, and they rob all of us because we work our tails off. But you know what the funniest part is about Beverly? They're not telling you this. is that all that Beverly is cops and union workers, okay? Which union workers, period. And these people have been told to vote Democrat for, like, almost 100 years. And look what that
0: got
12: them. Look
0: what that got them. My deepest sympathy to the families. Thanks for the call, Kyle. 100%. 100% what Kyle said. Mm -hmm. That's why nothing will change. Despite uh, Mr. Petticord's plea. Uh, One more commentary on what Chicago has become.
2: What else do you have? Oh, you have three. Th- there's a third, right?
0: The, the third is uh, the old Ditka's restaurant on Chestnut.
2: Oh, what happened? Didn't they, they had a cigar room there, too. I remember that. Uh,
0: well, it uh, became a hotel, and now it's going to become a homeless shelter.
2: Oh, that's right. Oh, that's where Selena is. That Yeah, that's... The Selena
0: Hotel. Yeah. Um They're laying off their workers. It's going to be a homeless shelter. It previously housed a migrants, and... Um, the story that you're not getting from the Chicago Press Corps, how this all happened, um, like this is some part part of some master plan and so forth. Even if it even if it was, it's disturbing. But this is um, a, a company that's in trouble. The a twenty five million dollar foreclosure dispute over a hotel steps from the Mag Mile. Uh, due to the struggles of a hospitality startup in danger of having its stock delisted from the NASDAQ exchange. Uh, hotel Capital, the uh, real estate investment firm, defaulted on a $20 million mortgage secured for that site, for a hotel at 100 East Chestnut, formerly known as the Tremont, now Selina, And um, now it owes $25 million to the lender that owns the note, which is uh, an investment arm of JLL. The, the particular detail is not important, right. but so they so the city is you know they have they're they're going under and so the city is going to, to take this opportunity and they're going to take the opportunity the city provides to provide uh, funding if they turn their hotel into a homeless shelter. So from Mike Ditka's pre-COVID to a homeless shelter post-COVID,
2: but those sixteen employees they were so sad they had a little you know, press conference yesterday outside the hotel.
11: Well, I got a letter from the hotel saying that my co-workers and I are out of work. Uh, of so this Friday, I couldn't believe it. I feel very betrayed.
0: Yeah. Big city living. Um, perhaps uh, a new homeless shelter or migrant shelter will spring up to uh, employ those uh, displaced hospitality industry workers. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560. The Answer. Top of
0: the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Returning to uh, last night's Republican presidential debate. Any issues covered that you, any issues not covered, I should say, that you wish would have been covered? A lot of time was spent on on war, understandably so, Israel and Ukraine. There was certainly more daylight on Ukraine than on Israel. Uh, most of the candidates, uh, well, all of the candidates standing with Israel and its response to the terrorist attack by Hamas, the only one where there's some Daylight, I would argue, is Ramaswamy, who is um, presenting his position as supporting uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and the Israelis doing what they need to do vociferously. But Not with um, Ukraine, <laughs> but well, but with respect to aid, with uh, as it come, as it pertains to Israel, um, let them fight their own fight. They have the capacity to do so, and we should stand down essentially uh, other than providing you know uh, rhetorical and cultural support he's a little dicey on the cash or the 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 weapons um on ukraine there's uh really well there's a little bit of daylight between uh desantis and the other candidates But, of course, the the most daylight is between Ramaswamy and the other candidates. Ramaswamy is in the J.D. Vance camp, which is no more. And here's how he described his view compared to those of his competitors last night
3: and i'm actually enjoying watching the ukraine hawks quietly delicately tiptoe back from their position as this thing has unwound into a disaster the first half of this race i was the only person standing for it now they're actually quietly coming around to being more cautious as they should level with the american people here ukraine is not a paragon of democracy This is a country that has banned 11 opposition parties. It has consolidated all media into one state TV media arm. That's not democratic. It has threatened not to hold elections this year unless the U.S. forks over more money. That is not democratic. It has celebrated a Nazi in its ranks, the comedian in cargo pants, a man called Zelensky, doing it in their own ranks. That is not democratic. More facts for you that you won't hear from the mainstream in either party or the mainstream media. The regions of Ukraine that are occupied by Russia right now, in the Donbass... Luhansk, Donetsk. These are Russian-speaking regions that have not even been part of Ukraine since 2014, that other people probably couldn't name those provinces for you. Those are the hard facts. And so to frame this as some kind of battle between good versus evil, don't buy it. And I'd like the likes of the the sharpest of the war hawks on Ukraine, Nikki Haley, to have some accountability and answer. Do you want to use U.S. taxpayer money to fund the banning of Christians? That is actually what's happening. They're using the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. They have banned them. The Ukrainian Parliament just did this last week, supported by our dollars. And I think you owe it to the American people, Nikki, to at least
5: this Mr. one. Mr. thank you. That's time. At least Mr. Condemn their banning you. of Christians. Mr. Ramaswamy, thank we're talking you. Both sides Mr.
2: Ramaswamy, thank you. We ask the questions. Ambassador
5: Haley,
0: nah, actually, no, you you don't just ask the questions, Kristen Walker. The candidates can ask questions of one another too. And, I wish there would have been more time to shoot back again at Welker. That was one of those moments where she uh, took the mask off. 312-642-5600, answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Now, on this matter, um, DeSantis, who's moved around a little bit on it, uh, supports uh, ongoing support of Ukraine, but... Uh, but in a more limited fashion. He doesn't believe we should have essentially a uh, PPP program for uh, Ukrainians' uh, government sector. because right, that's what we're we, funding
2: their small businesses and paying their first responders salaries.
0: Right. We shouldn't be doing that. He also sort of put a some finality to it, talking about this in the terms of, um, uh, you know, a short period of time where this support will continue until until it's no longer sustainable if there's not progress made. Um, the others, of course, are uh, more a- aligned with sort of the establishment of both parties inside the beltway, which is to say, uh, and I'm not necessarily ridiculing their position, I'm just saying what it is that look, we're dealing through Ukraine body blows to the military of one of america's enemies that would be putin and the russians and it's a small price to pay for what the ukrainians are able to do even if it's not going as well as we had hoped and on that matter they won't call it a stalemate i'm talking about the biden administration we've had even supporters of uh ongoing ukraine funding call it a stalemate because that seems to be what it is. I mean, we've had them on the show saying that. Uh, but uh, just like they won't call the situation at the border crisis it's a challenge. Uh, John Kirby, the uh, spokesman for the National Security Council, he's not going to get into the business of characterizing this on behalf of the Ukrainians. He'll, he'll let them characterize it. He'll let the comedian in cargo pants, as Ramaswamy called him, characterize
5: it. Well, we're not going to characterize... Uh, Ukrainian military operations, they, they, they can speak for this. Um, President Zelensky talked about this on Sunday, uh, that he does not believe that they are in a stalemate, but that is for him and his commanders to, to talk about. What I can tell you is that um, the, the front uh, from the Donbas area all the way down towards Zaporizhia and beyond, I mean, remains an active front, um, and there is fighting along that front. All along that front, um, the Ukrainians will be the first to tell you that, that that they aren't making and haven't made as much progress on this counteroffensive as they would like, um, and that's why we are so focused on making sure that we continue to provide security assistance to them so that they can make the most of the time they have left before the weather's really going to set in and make it harder for them to make make any progress
0: yeah, and some of the candidates you know getting um feeling the the public opinion on this sliding against them is talking about uh, you know a, a real accounting of the money that we uh, provide and where it's spent and so on and so forth but I mean that's just sort of uh, posturing I mean it's going to be very difficult to uh, have some accounting of this and uh, even uh, if you were able to get an accounting of it I mean you you're not going to be able to claw it back so What's really the point? That's going to then impinge upon future funding. That's not really how it works in DC, right? Depending on what the particular geopolitical interests are, or even more to the point, uh, political self-interests of those making the decisions, those who have control of the purse strings.
2: Three one two six four two five six zero zero Turnkey Pro Answer Line. You could text us at six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Here's a text message, Dan and Amy. I'd like an accounting of money going to Ukraine. Mind any of the money make it back to the Bidens?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. well the wow. boomerang. Um, yeah, I mean I
2: yeah. it might have in the past, but no.
0: yeah, I mean I, I think
2: I, there's you know. a close eye on that right now.
0: Well, it, but so I want to go back to to other issues that weren't covered.
2: Yes, issues that weren't
0: covered uh, because you know so much time was spent on issues where there isn't that much daylight, uh, and. It missed opportunities for, and this is part of the problem when you partner with NBC. It missed opportunities for uh, for Republicans to talk about issues that um, could exploit the weakness of Democrat socialist governance, both in DC and across the country. Despite what happened on Wednesday, on Tuesday with the uh, the elections in places like Virginia and Ohio and Kentucky. Democrats have a huge vulnerability on K through 12 education because of what's happened to K through 12 education. During COVID, uh as more recognition of the results of school lockdowns is occurring, there's a huge liability there. I know Daniel Cameron attempted to make this case against Bashir and uh, he lost. So you say, "Oh, well, it doesn't work." Well, you know, it's not a single issue. It's complicated. But this is part of the tapestry, K-12 through education. And I know it's mostly a state and local issue. But there are other state and local issues where we decide, where where federal elected officials weigh in. Certainly a president will weigh in. weigh in. And there are some things that are done for education at the federal level. Of course, we have a Department of Education, even though we shouldn't. And yesterday was an opportunity for a bit of spotlighting on Illinois to spotlight a larger issue because today's the day that the invest in kids, the tax credit scholarship program goes away in Illinois and talking about K through 12 education and in state after state, if you look at the report cards where half to two thirds of kids are not reading and on the math in some places like Illinois, three quarters Or doing math at grade level. And this is all teachers union dominated. One of the principal financiers of the Democrat Party. They are the opponents of school choice, whether it was Roy Cooper in North Carolina, Democrat, swing state. Whether it's the efforts uh, in Arizona to undo what Republicans have done there in terms of advancing school choice under the new Democrat Leadership there, Katie Hobbs at the top of that, the governor. Whether it's a Democrat Socialists in Illinois, not a swing state, but still an example, a real world example. You're taking away. And by the way, it's interesting. We have m- members of Congress from the Illinois delegation like Calamity Jan Schakowsky. Wife of Creamy Bob.
2: Ew, I hate that.
0: Uh, she's saying, oh, we got to get rid of this uh, tax no. credit scholarship program. We have to get rid of 9,500 scholarships to mostly lower-to-middle-income minority families.
2: And the kids are trying. I mean, I, you know, there's commercials that are playing on, on television. There's commercials that are playing on the radio, you know, testimonials from these children saying, hey, I love where I go to school and I appreciate this, and I, and I don't know if it's going to move the needle. I mean they went and they protested that's, outside Frisker's that, 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 office. That, that's
0: over. That's done. They had their they had their opportunity and they missed it. They don't want to challenge the political power structure in the state. This eleventh hour business. This, this trade unions, uh this uh op ed in the NPR Times, state funded media, Jim Sweeney, Jim Connolly, Jim Coyne, Donald Finn, these are all the uh, uh presidents and business managers of Trade unions, operating engineers, laborers, uh, plumbers, 130, electrical workers. The headline Why Four Trade Unions Want Lawmakers to Renew Invest in Kids. It's wonderful. It comes out a couple of days before uh, this just dissipates in veto session. In veto session. Where were they in the spring? And by the way, there's some interest here, and that's fine, because of the interest in uh, having scholarships available for young people who want to go into the trades and making that part of educational choice, too. All for it. Great. So why not more vociferous? You know, as labor unions, blah, blah, blah. We're fortunate to live in a state that not only provides quality public school options for parents to choose from, but also has options for low-income parents who desire other educational alternatives, including programs we're prepared to launch to educate students for the union trades. The Invested Kids Act has been amended to include school programs structured around a trade curriculum, so kids are prepared to go directly into apprenticeships. We'll encourage more minority and financially disadvantaged children to participate in the trades and create pathways out of poverty with a direct opportunity for stable, good-paying, union careers okay so what so what um this 11th hour op-ed what i don't hear and i don't see and this is why it's going to go away is a statement from these powerful trade unions by the way if this isn't renewed uh speaker chris welch We are going to hold you politically responsible because, you know, we know you are Pritzker's hatchet man on this. And by extension, we're going to hold your caucus responsible. And by extension, we're going to hold the ponderous Pritzker responsible if this goes away. That's what I don't hear. And that's why it's going to go away. In addition to the choices Illinoisans have made with respect to the leadership of the state. But that's more of the local politics of it. The national politics, and by the way, Tim Scott has made this a big issue at the national level, school choice. And Ron DeSantis presides over the most successful school choice program and in the, in the biggest and most successful in the country. So there's a lot of opportunity to talk about this and distinguish the GOP vision for K-12 through education from the Soviet Politburo-style uh, model of education that is most... Most often seen, but not limited to big city America dominated by Democrat socialists who are otherwise providing over the lawlessness and the disintegration of all of these civic and and civilizational uh, institutions like K through 12 school systems. I mean I, I have said before, I think the GOP is missing this and, and a lot of other people have said this too, missing this huge issue area. That you know, buoyed uh, Glenn Youngkin into office in Virginia. But that was on controversies around curriculum and 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 and, and uh, you know, trans issues and, and public and school safety and so forth. I'm talking about performance Performance, something else people don't want to confront and the left isn't sure they're going to talk about because they have nothing to celebrate. They just celebrate teachers and they celebrate the, you know, the Dewey Decimal System and the our great public schools. They just keep repeating that line. Nobody look under the covers. This is an opportunity. And when you've got five Republican candidates for president on stage, they should have been talking about it. And I wish one of them would have introduced it at some point in the debate when it was clear that it wasn't going to be introduced by NBC. Jordan in Antioch, here on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy.
7: Uh, well, two things, because we kind of bounce around a topic. First thing, like on the Ukraine and the Israel, the thing that we're lacking, which we, we had when we had Trump and we don't have now, is real strength and real leadership is the guy from here, our leader, that goes over there and sits down with Zelensky and says, listen, sit down and shut up, and we're going to call Putin in, and we're going to broker a peace or an agreement or something, because we're not funding this anymore. What, I think everybody forgets, the, and I know it's not this simple, but this whole thing started when one corrupt nation promised another corrupt nation that lives next to them that they wouldn't join the U.N., and then they turned around and whispered to the other guy, hey, help us get into the U.N. And it pissed off, sorry if I can say that, it ticked off the other corrupt, so that's how this started. And, and, and I think real leadership is having the strength, what we had in Reagan, we had in a couple others, is when they go over without firing a shot, and they just flex their political muscle and say this is what's going to happen because it's better for everybody. As far as Israel, strength is when we help Israel completely wipe out those that help that, that 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 did the terrorist attack, just like we did, and with help when nine eleven happened. That's strength in that area. As far as like, I love the fact I I know I don't exactly understand him, but him, Tim Scott, uh, Donald Trump, and a couple others, like you just said, Dan. We are like the Republican Party is like the pigeons at the park and we're going after the seeds that the little old lady throws out and we focus on that instead of poking holes in the bag and putting them on the defense. We, we, we allow them to dictate the rules of the game. We allow them to give us what we should argue about instead of, like you said, put them on the defense. Make them defend their crap decisions, their crap policies and the results of it. And like when, when Pritzker was running, you had a really effective uh, of, of media campaign about that. Unfortunately, you couldn't get any help from the Republican Party in this state where every day I heard an ad about the failings of the Democrat Party, Pritzker, and all of his minions. Every day I heard that from your pack, And I think that made a difference. And I think it makes a difference nationally, locally. Quit allowing them to dictate the rules. Put them on the defense and make them defend it. Make Put it right in the, between the eyes of the people that voted for it.
0: Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for the call, Jordan. Appreciate it.
1: It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560 The Answer This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560 The Answer
0: Top of the morning Dan and Amy Maybe it's wrong but Anytime I think of a U.S. senator from Alabama, I can't help but think of Howell Heflin because of the late, great Chris Farley's indelible impersonation of Howell Heflin. Remember when Farley played Howell Heflin and when they did the uh, SNL spoofs on the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings?
2: That seems like forever ago. Yes. I
0: mean, I know I'm I'm stuck in time, but it's just uh, just so good. Um, But uh, we have to talk about serious things. Katie Britt is uh, much more appealing than Howell Heflin. That's a low bar. She's the uh, youngest Republican woman ever elected to the United States Senate. I won't ask her age because that's impolite. Uh, She's got a new book. But before we get to that, um, here is uh, Senator Britt uh, just a few weeks back after having visited the border, which, of course, was a topic of conversation at last night's GOP presidential debate.
13: We walked through and we got to hear women tell us their story. And their stories are brutalizing. And to Senator Cruz's point, if you're not telling it, that's on you. Because when a woman sits there and she tells you not just about being raped, but how many times a day she's raped, when she tells you about having to lay in that bed, while they come in and out and in and out, it's disgusting and it's despicable. Folks, you look at the number of people that have died at the border because Joe Biden has made it more and more enticing to come here. Make no mistake, this is a result of failed policies. We could fix this. We can't throw money at this and fix it. We have to actually change the policies. I looked in the eyes of CBP agents who said, We're exhausted. We're not only having to be paper pushers, we're also trying to do what we did, what we took an oath of office to do, and that is protect this border. But when they tell you about finding small children who have drowned in that river or pulling a lifeless body of a woman who was pregnant with twins, it changes the way you think about what's happening. Drug cartels, guys, they have their tentacles all over this country we need you to start telling that story to senator cruz's point they will tell you exactly how much they paid to get here then they'll tell you where they're going what their job's going to be and how much more they owe got it and guess what just the other day in alabama a gentleman told me if you will come back here with me in this neighborhood right behind you you will see migrants who are here illegally, and they will tell you about the drug cartels coming around every other week to collect. Guys, that's not the American dream. That's an American nightmare.
2: Wow, she's good.
0: Uh, Senator Katie Britt, a Republican from Alabama, her new book, God Calls Us to Do Hard Things, Lessons from the Alabama Wiregrass. Senator Britt, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
10: Hey, thank you. I really appreciate y'all having me on. I yeah. appreciate getting to be with y'all and in front of your audience.
2: And I love yeah. your state. I was in Alabama last week. University of Alabama. They played Georgia Tech in volleyball. So you've got a beautiful state.
10: Oh, there. nice. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. And it's a be- beautiful campus. My daughter is a volleyball player, so um, that's 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 awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed yourself.
0: Thank oh you. no, this is going to go off the rails now. <laughs> you two are just going to talk about volleyball. <laughs> We have to talk
2: about
0: about, uh, additionally important things like uh, the border, too. I mean, that was certainly a topic that was tackled yesterday at the Republican presidential debate. And, um, you know, you sort of had the competing Dirty Harry rhetoric from Ramaswamy and DeSantis uh, and others. But it seems to me there's there's general Republican consensus on this um, to the point that you were making uh, when you were admonishing the press corps. Uh, and the point that Tom Holman always makes, the former acting director of ICE, that secure borders save lives, um, remain in Mexico, uh, you, the 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 uh, requisite security to prevent uh, the incursion, to disincentivize more migrants from moving towards our southern border. It seems like the Republican Party is generally on the same page on this. So what can be done when you only control one half of one-third of the government
10: look we we've got to stand up and i'd love that you mentioned tom because i mean he is a true leader on this and we've got to talk about this in a in a way that people can hear us and we've we've got to really lead um in a way they can follow because the country's counting on it first we've we've got to work to secure the border that's set it in there but obviously there are policy changes that go along with that you know, we need to change the asylum standard. Um, there are loopholes that this administration is utilizing that, that we need to close. Um, we need to put back in the Remain in Mexico policy. We need to uh, institute a safe third country policy. So there there are a number, when we look at the parole system, that it, it is absolutely uh, broken. There, that needs to be adjusted. When you look at funding uh, mechanisms, which we're going to have to, you know, kind of coalesce as Republicans on the Senate side and and really speak with one voice in order to make any changes and and to me look obviously we're not going to get everything we want and this you know right this second when we're not um when we're not in charge but we with that it shouldn't be for a lack of trying we should be good we should be moving towards everything we want when you look at um funding Portions, You know, making sure that we actually finish building the wall we need both physical barriers, technological barriers. We need more money for ICE officers. Um, if you look at it, we have six thousand ICE officers in the interior. They have about six point five million. They're tracking on the non detained docket. There have been a million people over a million people that have been have orders to be deported that's where we need to be spending money we need to get them out i mean uh we need more detention beds there are a number of things that we but, need to be doing look we know what works we saw it in the last administration we've got to go back to that because um the safety and security of our nation is is hanging in the balance
0: but sticking with tom homan for a moment i mean um uh, you know he he doesn't think it's a resource issue it's a policy issue which i know you've sort of articulated as well i mean especially if you're just as DeSantis said last night if you're just going to hire more ice agents to process uh asylum applications, then what are you really doing? It seems, but, but Holman's call is shut everything down. There's no no funding for anything. Um, the temporary layoff of, uh, you know, a quarter of the federal workforce too. What, what we call a government shutdown, whatever, whatever it takes to zero in on this and get those policy changes that are required to secure the border. I mean, it doesn't seem like congressional Republicans are willing to die on that hill at this point
10: you know i I have to say there is a lot of effort and momentum within the Republican conference. So obviously only time will tell where we're able to get that. But I mean, people are seeing it. And to be truthful with you, the Democrats have got to wake up. I mean, you look at the poll numbers and only 23 percent of America agrees with how Joe Biden is handling the border. So I think we have the leverage and now it's do we have the will to use it? And I am certainly hopeful that we do. I will be pushing us to do that uh, because we cannot sustain another, you know, year and uh, a couple of months under these failed policies, so um, I think we'll push back. We'll push back hard. And and to the the point about it, it, there's a difference, ICE officers versus you know what you see from the administration. You're, to, you're correct. They want to. They want more clerical people in different spaces. What we need are actual officers that can hunt down, you know, f- fugitives, hunt down criminal aliens, um, that, that can actually deport it. Right now, the numbers are they would have to deport. Each each ICE agent would have to find about 167 people a year that have already been said that they have to leave this nation in order for us to get all a million out in in a year. And I've been told yesterday that it's actually more than a million people that have been set to be removed. But this like this administration, we're we're at a like in 20 maybe it was 2022 FY 2022 they were like a 32 in one migrants illegally entering the nation versus how many people they were deporting and. Um, Obviously, a stark difference than what we saw under Trump. So, we got to continue to fight back. And and certainly, Tom's an expert on this. And so, I I always appreciate knowing where he is and what his voice is because he he knows what he's talking about.
2: And it would be nice if ICE agents can arrest those cartel members that you're talking about that come back to collect every week, you said? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Yes. And and that's what
10: people are, you know, you hear Democrats talk about how humanity, this is a, that their policies are humane. Their policies are anything but that. I mean, there are there are you know women that are being tr- victims of traffic under the drug cartels. You've got them utilizing TikTok. These 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 men, children, everyone having to pay to get here, and then that's what people don't get. Once they get here, they are still under the thumb of the cartel. The cartels have their tentacles all across this country. So these, these quote-unquote migrants are not winning. I can assure you that. Clearly, Americans are not winning. The only person people winning under Joe Biden's failed policies are drug cartels. He has made them billions of billions of dollars, and he has allowed them to make these migrants indentured servants in so many ways. And he's put American safety at risk. You look at the fentanyl. You look at that that's the leading cause of death in this country between the ages of 18 and 45. We know exactly what's happening. It's coming from China. It's making its way to Mexico. It's coming across our border and it, it is it's literally killing over 300 people a day. And that's that's mm-hmm. an addition to all of the other things that, that we have to deal with under this crisis. Uh,
0: so what was your handle on the election results from Tuesday night, the disappointing election results, including in uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's home state and uh, somebody that he's had a longstanding relationship with, a, a really attractive candidate in Daniel Cameron, the attorney general, they're losing in a state that Trump won by 26 points and all the discussion about where the GOP needs to be on abortion, and that was part of the debate last night as well. What's your analysis?
10: Yeah, so we've got to do a better job of messaging. We've, we're we right on the policies. I mean, you look at where the nation is. We are more vulnerable and weaker at the border, as we just discussed. We clearly, um, we clearly are abroad and here at home, and so – I know that if you look back under President Trump, obviously, we had a secure border. We look at we had a commander in chief that understood peace through strength. And we actually garnered respect from both our allies and our adversaries. And then you look at at home. You know your your four hundred and one ks were higher. You look at the gas pump, and you know you're not paying uh, you're not paying as much to fill up your car. Um, and people believe they had an opportunity at the American Dream. We've got to go out and communicate our message. Communicate, remind people that our policies work. Remind them that they will shift from the place that we are here. Um, and then we've got to lead in a way that other people can follow. And when it comes to issues of life, we have got to to hit those head on. And I know that there's talk about you know, whether or not candidates responded in the same amount of time and, and, and how we do that. And so I think let's take a step back. Let's look at the polls. Let's look at the cross tabs, and let's figure out a better way to communicate our message, because ultimately I do believe that we're right on policy. Um, we, we've just got to do a better job of getting that to the people.
0: We've got to do the hard things, which is uh, what God calls us to do. And it's also the name of your book. What was the uh, impetus for God calls us to do hard things?
10: So, you know, when I got in this race, and you you mentioned it earlier, um, you know, the youngest Republican female ever elected to the to the U.S. Senate, a lot of people thought that this wasn't possible. I was, at the time, a 39-year-old, unknown female, um, and the gentleman who was already in the race was polling at 65%. He was a sitting congressman, um, and he had, at the time, the former president's endorsement, and then um, there was me, and I was polling at 2 uh, we knew that we would have to step down from our jobs, both my husband and I. We knew that people said there was no way in the world uh, that this could happen in the state of Alabama. Um, and we were praying about it and praying about it, and my son asked to speak with me privately. He he sat me down first and gave me a list of things of why I should do it. And so I, part of um, tugging on my heartstrings was what it would mean for my children. And so for him to do that was big, but then I kept thinking, well, my daughter, my daughter, and then – she said, Mom, um, you know what? You, you've got to do this. I said, I've got to do what? She said, you've got to run for the United States Senate. And I said, sweetheart, I really appreciate that uh, you think your mama can run for the United States Senate, but I don't think you realize what a hard thing it is. And without telling her all of those things that I just told you, um, I just said, baby, it's a really hard thing. And she looked right back at me and without hesitation said, well, Mama, doesn't God call you to do hard things? And that was the moment where I thought, you know what? I know I, God is not guaranteeing us any result, but He is telling us that we need to be, uh, we need to step into the arena. And so this book is um, about a lot of the hard things in life. You know, I think you see people's peaks in life. And if you don't, if you don't see them, then you can, you can find them on their Instagram feed, but it is people's valleys (laughs) where God really, right, um, really carves you up and prepares you for his purpose. And so I talk a lot about my failures. I talk about lessons learned and and the thought is, is that the next generation, we've got to equip them with the fundamental values of this country, that space, family, and freedom are the most important things. We've got to remind them who they are and whose they are. We've, and we've got to encourage them and people, whether it's the young or the young at heart, uh, that want to you know, spark a new lease on life, to step into the arena. Because I believe every generation is called to do hard things. If you look at what happened you know, on D-Day, and and you you look at like gosh, the the cliffs that, that that those men climbed up and and stared in the face um, of the unthinkable. You look at what Reagan did. You look at 9/11, and and um, our just incredible you know men and women, first responders that didn't rush away but rushed to um, the disaster. And I think we are seeing right now what our generation is called to do. And we have some fundamental cracks in the foundation of this country, and and we are going to have to work diligently to fill them. So, it encourages people to follow God's purpose. It talks about lessons in life, and um, hopefully reminds this nation um, who we are and what we're about, and that we're, we we God calls us to do. Senator Britt, I mean,
2: you've got a fascinating story. You know, grew up working in your parents' hardware store, and how did you go when you were polling at a two? To pull off and beat your opponent what was the messaging that you got out that was successful that maybe the republican party as a whole can do yeah so obviously it goes back to hard
10: work which is one of the things that we talk about in the book you know we've moved into this place where the nation uh the government wants you to just keep your hand out and let them give you more instead of keeping your head down and work, working hard to achieve and you know, we we school. We went grassroots. We went all over the state um, each and every day, and I think it mattered. And we took a message of that the Republican Party is the party of parents, and we are the party of hardworking Americans, and just that the that the government in general. You know, people are ready for new blood. They're ready for fresh fresh blood. They people want us to um, to fight for these foundational freedoms that. I believe the nation gives us. They want us to fight for our values and they want us to fight for our people. And so connecting with people, listening to them um, and, and you know, demanding that, that we're part of the solution, I think was something that, that spoke to people all across the state. And I believe Alabama is a great state with great people and we have a great story to tell. Um, and so making sure that we're contributing to the greater good of the nation um, is also critically important.
0: She is Katie Britt, Republican senator from the great state of Alabama. Her new book, God Calls Us to Do Hard Things, Lessons from the Alabama Wiregrass. Senator Britt, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck with the book.
2: Hey, thank you. I appreciate being on. All right. Thank you, and God bless. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line.
1: The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM 560. The answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, a lot of discussion in last night's Republican presidential debate about uh, Israel. Uh, earlier in the week, uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. I did an interview with ABC News' David Muir where he responded to the calls for ceasefire and humanitarian pauses, sort of euphemistic language for a ceasefire, the weaselly phrases used by an administration, I'm talking about the Biden administration, that's trying to middle the issue to keep warring coalition partners in check. Here's what Bibi said.
14: The president himself has said that a ceasefire would be a surrender to Hamas, it would be a victory for Hamas, and you would no more have it than you would have uh, a ceasefire after the uh, Al-Qaeda bombings of uh, the World Trade Center. Well, there'll be no uh, ceasefire, general ceasefire in Gaza without the release of our hostages. As far as tactical little pauses, an hour here, an hour there, we've had them before. I suppose uh, we'll check the circumstances in order to enable uh, goods, humanitarian goods to come in, or our hostages, uh, individual hostages, to leave. But I don't think there's going to be a general ceasefire. Uh, It's not that I don't think. I think it will hamper the war effort. It will hamper our effort to get our hostages out, because the only thing that works on these criminals in Hamas is the military pressure that we're exerting.
0: And he also uh, uh, talked a bit about what happens after, who governs Gaza. And uh, here there is... Real daylight between what Bibi said and what Biden is saying.
14: Those who don't want to uh, continue the way of Hamas, it certainly is not. uh, uh, I think Israel will, for uh, an indefinite period, will have the overall uh, security responsibility because we've seen what happens when we don't have it. When we don't have that security responsibility, what we have is the eruption of uh, Hamas terror on a scale that we couldn't imagine. Do you have a warning to Iran, to Hezbollah?
0: For uh, more on this, pleased to be joined by Stephen Bucci, served America for three decades as an Army Special Forces officer and top Pentagon official. He's a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies. Stephen, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it.
12: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me back on the show.
0: So um, do you have any issues with what uh, Netanyahu said? Because on that last piece in particular – There is uh, opposition, at least stated uh, right now, stated opposition to the idea that Israel would uh, have operational security control over Gaza for an indeterminate period of time until something uh, less lethal could be constructed in terms of governance.
12: Well, I I think Netanyahu is speaking reality and. The Biden administration and, and lots of other commentators are, are speaking la-la land. Uh, you know, they want to have the U.N. or some other peacekeeping force go in there and and, and take over. But I got to tell you, I don't think anybody's going to volunteer to do that. Uh, it would be extremely difficult. And, you know, the any remnants of Hamas that are not eliminated in the Israeli offensive that's now ongoing – Will come back and start to do more stuff. So I think everybody around the world would like to see it, the Israel, uh, the Israeli army, not be in there. But I'm sorry, it's the only way they're going to solve this problem. It's not going to go away. We can wish it all we want, but Hamas is not cooperating. Hamas, as its leaders have said, we're happy about what we did on October seventh. We're proud of it, and we're going to keep doing it as long as we can when one side doesn't want to negotiate it's kind of tough to negotiate
2: well we're learning this morning from CBS News or you know Hamas is now proposing a two day ceasefire in exchange they'll uh, hand over six hostages, many um, that are American, including Hirsch Goldberg and here's his mom I wanted you to hear her. she spoke last night in jerusalem
13: we cannot forget there are 240 people buried but very much alive under gaza the hostages have been underground in gaza for 32 days
2: you could just hear the pain in her voice do you think that this is that they're going to do this ceasefire to release the six american hostages uh,
12: if if they can get them out, I think they would do a, not a ceasefire but a tactical pause. Uh, I doubt it would be two days. I don't think the Israelis are going to take you know two days off to give to give back six people, even if they're Americans. Uh, I, I think this is Hamas realizing the noose is tightening, and now they're they're going to have to try and and wiggle and and stay on the game board. I don't think the Israelis are going to buy that. Now, if they said, you know, in two days we'll let go half of the hostages, you know, 50, 60 people, that might be worth two days, even three or four. But two days to get six people out when they still have, you know, over 100-some people uh, to deal with? No, I don't think Israel's going to buy it, and Biden can stomp his feet, uh, and the protesters around the world can scream. But right now, Netanyahu is operating based on the safety and security of his nation and his people, and that's the only thing that he should be thinking about.
0: I'm not saying that uh, he has any other choice, as you sort of indicated, but um, there is this uh, concern, strategic concern, uh, from you know pro-Israeli uh, experts, um, like former uh, CIA official. Uh, Nicholas Cass is one uh, who just says, "Look, but part of this is complicated. You know, this is uh, multi-dimensional chess, and so you know, the more that, uh, with the help of Western media, the talk is of the civilian body count and uh, among Palestinians, and the more something like uh, it's something that could happen with the you know busting up of this tunnel uh, infrastructure that Hamas has. Some, I think, some 130 tunnels have been." Essentially blown up at this point, at least that's the reporting. But if if hostages were to be killed in the effort to dismantle the tunnel system, that you know Israel starts to lose uh, some of the support or uh, middling, middled support that it gets from uh, Arab countries that they had over the last several years developed a rapprochement. And it provides opportunities for Russia and China to come in as the sympathetic ear. And you start to see like a larger destabilization of the region to the benefit of America's overarching enemies like Russia and China.
12: Well, I I would have uh, a little disagreement with that analysis. Uh, Frankly, that the Arab world is either so tired of the Palestinians that they're just sitting on the sidelines and would, you know, truth be told, would love Israel just to eliminate Hamas completely, and then they'd wring their hands for a while, and then they'd go back to dealing with the Israelis. The other parts of the Muslim world right now, Turkey, obviously Iran, and their uh, allies, it doesn't matter what Israel does, their Israel is still going to be the enemy. So we should not fool ourselves to to think that Uh, If Israel negotiates with these characters who've done this horrific act and are still doing it now to their own people, that somehow, you know, we're going to achieve a negotiated peace. I just say again, you can't negotiate with people not wanting to negotiate. The West has this idea that, well, that's not what Hamas really means. Uh, Certainly, if we, you know, give them something, they'll, they'll cooperate with us. And that's delusional. These people are fanatics, and they are not going to negotiate. They will try and cut a deal, but only to their own advantage, not, not to help their own people or to achieve some ethereal peace that might be uh, out there somewhere.
2: Yeah, but they're winning the PR war. I mean, it's so strange. All these pro-Palestinian you know, uprisings or protests that are having at, at college campuses. I mean, was this part of Hamas's strategy?
12: Uh, I don't know if it was part of Hamas's strategy. It was clearly uh, in the strategy of Hamas supporters around the world, the Muslim Brotherhood and their ilk, uh, the Iranians,
0: the, I- the and Ivy League, mm.
12: yeah, and and the kind of liberals who just hate Israel anyway. Uh, and you're right. In in a sense, they are winning the PR war mostly because the mainstream press are playing right into it. Uh, and the problem is. What, how do you not lose the, the, uh, the PR war? I mean, Israel could stop shooting right now, pull out and say they were sorry, and they've, they're not going to win the PR war. So why bother? Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, it's like the U.N. I mean, Israel gets condemned in the U.N. all the time, and Israel sits there and rolls their eyes and says, yeah, got it. We understand. We're not letting our people die I think we should.
0: Uh, John Kirby, National Security Council spokesman, would not call it a stalemate in Ukraine. Uh, He'll let the Ukrainians do that if they want to. But he eventually said it was when he said that uh, Ukrainians haven't made as much progress with the counteroffensive as they hoped. Yeah, we've got that. Um, We uh, talked to Bradley Bowman last week from the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, and he argued that this uh, sort of open-ended support of Ukraine uh, is worth it uh It is necessary. it is an opportunity for America with respect to dealing these body blows to the uh to putin 's military and uh, you know got into the geopolitical benefits that you know well and you 've heard the arguments um and and he said look let 's be honest it 's probably five to ten years, but the amount of spend in the context of our overall spend it is absolutely worth it, and he 's not so worried about. Uh, an accounting i mean he's not at saying we should be profligate with our money but he's still not so worried about an accounting which is sort of uh fairy tale stuff anyway of how the money is spent by Zelensky and company um but hey if we're in for five or ten years then it's worth it and at least he's somebody saying i'm i'm in for the long haul and we better be prepared to be in for the long haul what how do you react to that
12: well i you know at one part of me uh, you know wants to say well Thank you for at least being honest about what what you you believe. I'm I'm not sure it's sustainable for five or ten years. I mean, that's uh, the American people uh, do have a limit as to what they're going to do, and we don't do well with long-term commitments like that, particularly when they're sort of over the top price-wise. Uh, I do agree that we should be supporting Ukraine right now, uh, be, not necessarily because we want to and cause body blows to Russia, though that, you know, that'd that be fine if it happened, but because we can't let Russia win because that would fundamentally shift the, the entire international relations you know, world rules that then China and others would use as a precedent to other actions. So the, the cost down the road would be horrendous and frankly worse than what it's costing now.
0: Well, but I then... But, then, but reconcile that for me, because uh, it can't be open ended. We need to put them on some timeline, but we can't put them on an artificial timeline. So uh, how, how do we make an assessment? What metrics are we looking for to say six months, a year from now, uh, we can't do this anymore? If at the same time, that would mean that Russia rolls over the Ukrainians and into Kyiv. Uh, how, how do we how do we make the call of when?
12: Uh, well, I, I don't think we can because we don't know exactly what when is. I think you know we can talk with the Ukrainians, not publicly, but you know on the sly, and say, "Look, you you got to give us a plan, show us what you think you can do and when you can do it." I think we do need to have an accounting. That's just our system. It's it's really nice to say, "Well, who cares how much we spend?" But you know we don't have unlimited assets. Uh, so we do have to watch that. We do have to make sure it's not wasted, that they are using every bit of it effectively. But, you know, we don't have to say, well, you got six months or we're out of here. Uh, I, I think there's room in between the, well, we'll be there for 10 years and you got six months to finish the job. Uh, and we have to find that space and then give them the the equipment to accomplish it in whatever we Together agree is a legitimate time period, and that 's not a, a precise science to be honest with you
0: yeah okay, uh, I mean, fair. this kind
12: of war is is, is expensive you know we're, we're used to uh, counterinsurgency, which can be expensive in in human costs, This is way more expensive in and in the human costs, but again, this is an ally like with Israel that is willing to fight. Itself, They're not asking us to go in and fight for them. They just need logistical help. That's different than what we've done in the past where we had to put not just some treasure but a lot of of blood along with it into the fight. We're not at that point in either of these conflicts.
0: Stephen Bucci served America for three decades as Army Special Forces officer and top Pentagon official, visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies. Steve Bucci, thanks as always. Appreciate it.
12: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show, and we'll talk to you next week.
2: Okay, thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro Answer line.
1: Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560 The Answer.
0: of the morning, Dan and Amy. uh, We uh, played at the outset, but it uh, bears a replay. The way that uh, the Republican presidential debate in Miami began last night.
2: Oh yeah, people are begging to hear it again. They keep texting our text line, which is great.
0: With uh, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, going right at Kristen Welker and the woman who put her on stage.
3: Why would you, uh, why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here. And I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. It a cancer the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronald McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there are cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have ten times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. Do you think the Democrats and we've got Kristen Welker here, do you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. accountability because this media rigged the 2016 election they rigged the 2020 election with the hunter biden laptop story and they're going to rig your, your, this election your time is up. accountability let me turn to That's governor governor States. Christie. Why?
0: yeah yeah i mean um i thought Kristen and you know so on and so forth go that was the That's that was the key takeaway of the debate and uh I know there are skeptics of Ramaswamy, and I have said before, I think there's a little Harold Hill quality to him. But uh, it was something that needed to be said publicly and in to Kristen Welker's face, uh, her, her being a proxy for the entire D.C. press corps. And um, Ramaswamy gets credit for being the one who was willing to do it. Uh, Ron DeSantis at the outset tried to have a moment too; uh, his target was Trump, not Kristen Welker. Here's his effort.
4: Where we are now, it's a lot different than we were in 2016. And Donald Trump's a lot different guy than he was in 2016. He owes it to you to be on this stage and explain why he should get another chance. He should explain why he didn't have Mexico pay for the border wall. He should explain why he racked up so much debt. He should explain why he didn't drain the swamp. And he said Republicans were going to get tired of winning. Well, we saw last night, I'm sick of Republicans losing in Florida. I showed how it's done. One year ago here, we want a historic victory, including a massive landslide right here in Miami-Dade County. That's how we have to do it. So I promise you this as the nominee mm-hmm. next November, I'll Thank get the God. job done. And as president, I will your, deliver your time. Is up. Let
9: me t-
0: for more on this. please be joined by Scott McKay, publisher of The Hayride, contributing editor at the American Spectator and author of the book, The Revivalist Manifesto. Scott, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. So um, they're very different moments, but who had the better moment at the outset for their respective purposes, Vivek or Uh, DeSantis?
6: Well, okay, as a presidential candidate, I might go with DeSantis on that. Mm -hmm. But as a consequential figure in the Republican Party slash conservative movement, it's Ramaswamy. Um, And what I took from that was, Hey, let's give this guy Ronald McDaniel's job today. Um, Because I I think that the Republican Party needs someone like Ramaswamy who's actually competitive and wants to win and will do the things necessary to win, which it doesn't have now. Um, You know, I think Ronald McDaniel is basically the the same old Republican kind of country club crowd happy to be second place uh, political figure that put the party in the situation where it needed Trump to come along.
2: And and what
6: I can't understand is why Trump endorsed McDaniel rather than get somebody who was more along his lines. Um, I guess he just didn't care who the, the chair of the RNC was. But the problem is it's not an effective organization, and Tuesday night showed that.
2: Well, who should be in that position? Who should Trump have backed instead of her?
6: Well, I I mean, that that I can't tell you because I guess the answer to the question depends on, you know, which time, right? I mean, you know, know, was it 2018 when you should have found somebody better? Was it 2020 when you should have found somebody better? Was it last year when you should have found somebody better? Um, You know, I, I, I would think that that is an organization that, you know, if you had somebody like Trump, Saying, okay, let's get serious about building the RNC into a political machine that can counter what the Democrats do in the cities um, and on a national scale and, and make the investments in uh, the block and tackle of winning elections. I think you could find somebody that can do that stuff. She She's basically a fundraiser and not much more. And the problem with that is... She has the stink of a loser about her, and I'm not sure that that isn't poisonous for fundraising. Uh,
0: what about the stink of a loser on Trump? I mean, that's what DeSantis was attempting to do there. In part, it's right. a bit of a it's a bit of a bank shot. So I don't know how it works, how effective it will be. But he can't really argue at present, um, legitimately, that Trump can't win, and I'm the only one that can win, or anybody else on stage can either, because of the polling that suggests. You know something very different than that, and Trump gets to wave that around as he has been. The New York Times siena poll most recently that shows him up on Biden in five of the six, five of six right. states. So, so instead he says, "Well, we're losing under Trump. You know, the party is getting smaller under Trump, and so this is why we need to turn the page." It seems to me that, that's that's a tough sell because everything is so. Trump's support is all bound up on, uh, you know, on on Trump, almost irrespective of what happens in Kentucky or Virginia or Ohio.
6: Yeah, well, there's that. And the big piece to this is that people believe Donald Trump Trump was done wrong and is being done wrong by uh, a weaponized uh, prosecutorial class at both the federal level and at the state level in Georgia and New York. Um, and. I, I don't know that there's a way to fix all that. Uh Molly Hemingway had a week ago a, a a good piece about, you know, why DeSantis kind of fizzled and Trump sort of, you know, locked down the nomination and the timing on this was the indictments. But uh a couple of things that DeSantis did, she said, kind of took him out of the running as a serious challenger to Trump. The first thing was uh, he was right initially about Ukraine when he called it a territorial dispute with the Russians. And then he he, you know, crawfished on that when he took a whole lot of heat from the mainstream press. And the signal that that sent to Trump supporters who might have been looking for Trump 2.0 was that Ron DeSantis was just sort of a regular, ordinary Republican politician after all. And then the second thing was. The crack that he that he took at Trump about the first indictment, which was the hush money thing in New York, you know, and he was like, well, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what's involved in paying hush money to to a porn star. Right. Which was kind of a funny little It alienated Trump's people.
0: Well, I mean, that's that's Um, that's a fair shot across the bow as far as I'm concerned, but I get it. Yeah.
6: Well that was this is what this is what Molly said. And I you know, and I I don't think if you just match up the timeline, I don't think it's wrong. And so if you're DeSantis, I think the moment has passed for you to to claim the Trump 2.0 um mantle. I just don't think that um I think the Trump 2.0 demand begins in 2028. And, you know, you're kind of in a ride-or-die situation with Trump because the majority of the party, poll after poll of Republican voters shows, you know, is, is, is in on Trump, and they're not going to change. And so the question is, you know, are you still in this race as a, as a long shot hoping that Trump goes to jail and can't run for president, and in which case you can say the things that DeSantis said? Or are you, you know, are you positioning yourself to be the guy in 2028? Because if you are, I don't know it's a good idea to, uh, you know, to trash Trump. And actually, Ramaswamy at the end uh, said something that DeSantis maybe should have said um, when, you know, when he was talking about. Oh, gosh, I can't remember what his 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 final statement in the in the uh, in the thing was actually even better than his original statement. And now I've lost my train of, uh, of thought. But but DeSantis, um, you know, needed to be talking about transforming the Republican Party much more so than, hey, here's what we did in Florida. You know, people think of Florida as a red state now and not a swing state. And DeSantis is the guy that is responsible in large measure for that but he doesn't get credit for it anymore because he's irritated all the
7: Trump people
0: uh the um the other problem that it seems DeSantis and now Haley both have is each other and so uh you know if they're if they're running neck and neck in second place and dividing up uh a third to 40 percent of the Republican primary electorate then they almost ensure a Trump victory in Iowa, and then right. momentum starts to roll downhill, right?
6: Yeah, it's a death struggle um, when you have and I don't think they're similar candidates they're similar only in the you know from the standpoint that they're kind of trump alternatives uh I mean Haley is you know without question sort of the neocon. Bush Republican uh, avatar in this race right now. Um, she's just in a different package than than those usually come. I mean, usually they look like Mike Pence. Um, and DeSantis is, you know, DeSantis is sort of the the quote unquote acceptable alternative to uh, to Trump for Trump voters. And you know, the the problem is is you know his base is Trump's base, and they like Trump better than him. So. Yeah. That's his problem. I, You know, and, and one of them would have to, to blow out the other. And the thing about it is, um, you know, Haley can't really put DeSantis away because she's way too irritating. Um, and DeSantis can't put Haley away because he just –
2: yeah, spirits. he doesn't have
6: that killer instinct that Trump does from a political standpoint.
2: I thought he got kind of walked over last night. I mean, he just kind of sat there and didn't really get involved as much as I thought he should have. What do you think? The
6: – the body language that I saw was not awesome. Yeah. You know, I mean, and this was this was in Miami. It was in his home state. Um, you know, he needed to be the the guy in command of that stage, and really, it was Ramaswamy more than it was Desantis.
0: Right, for good or um, for bad, with for, with respect to Ramaswamy. I mean, but it, but but you know, it doesn't seem like uh, there is a particular. I mean, he's sort of been uh, a, a bobber in the water, too, after he popped yeah. a little bit because of his uh, cable TV show appearances. But he he hasn't really moved from from that point.
6: No, he hasn't. And he's really what, what Ramaswamy is at this point is he's a spoiler for the other Republican challengers to Trump. Yeah. Um, you know, he's an he's another guy who, you know, his base is Trump's base and they like Trump better than him but he's willing to be Trump's avatar on that debate stage. Um, And, you know, he says memorable things. And I think because his things are memorable, you can't remember what the other people say, Um, but he doesn't necessarily capture the audience because he's a little on the caustic side and, um, and he's, he's a little dour, frankly. I mean, I don't think that anything he says is not true. And I think a lot of his his takes may not be as informed as, say, Haley's are, but he comes about things from an anti-establishment perspective, which is healthy at this point, given the performance of the establishment. But it doesn't lend the kind of confidence where you could say, okay, this guy really could lead the country. And I think that's what the debates have, have done to him Um while he's still the most interesting guy on the stage,
0: he is Scott McKay. He's the publisher of the Hayride. He's contributing to the American Spectator. He's the author of the Revivalist Manifesto, and
2: and big news.
0: He's uh, featured at our Freedom Summit on Saturday yeah. uh, in. Uh, at the Weston and Itasca, I think that we still got some yeah. GA tickets available. So we'll be talking to Scott, the the Scott the McKay guy, Scott the Hayride <laughs> guy, Scott McKay from the Hayride. Uh, we'll be talking to him on Saturday, among many other conservative thinkers. Scott, thanks so much for joining us.
6: For sure. See you guys this weekend.
2: Yep. See you at Freedom Summit, and again, there's limited tickets available, and you can purchase them at the door on Saturday. And Scott McKay joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line.
1: It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We talked uh, a bit earlier in the program Issues that were not covered in the GOP presidential debate last night in Miami that you wish would have been. I mentioned K-12 through education, particularly against the backdrop of
2: what's going to uh, happen in Springfield today. Right?
0: Yeah, the end of the Invest in Kids, the tax credit scholarship program in Illinois. And there's a lot of school choice action uh, inc- uh, that has uh, also occurred in the swing states. So it would have been important for... The candidates to comment on perhaps someone would have said you know what we could do with the Department of Education we can take uh, that 50 billion dollars or whatever the number is these days used to be around that number you know it's hard to keep track with the spend and we'll just uh, drop ship it to states uh, to provide scholarships to help provide what sc- anything to add to scholarships they already have or to uh, create scholarships they don't have to serve more kids who are in schools? Their parents would rather not have them in, but they don't have the resources to get them to a school that does a better job providing educational opportunity. That you could have been a moment that could be an interesting, spark a debate, like we're sparking over the tax treatment of universities and colleges in America, for example. That was part of the discussion, but that didn't happen because, of course, Kristen Welker and Lester Holt don't see anything wrong with government education no, in so America
2: yeah they didn't bring it up
0: teachers unions are in control everything is right with the world no problem blind spots um, I've got another one alright what but before that I, 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 I am sort of intrigued why you think Tim Scott's relationship with his girlfriend since that's part of the buzz out of last night why you think it's not going to work Dan
2: her name is Mindy okay she has a name Um, I don't know yeah. he's 58 years old She, he's black she's white he, they get so, up there, and which is fine, whatever. I don't care about any of that. But, um you know, people are pointing out, oh, he's got a white girlfriend. Yeah, so what? But they their body language, he didn't seem comfortable with her. And especially when she got in his private space, you know, when they were kind of cheek-to-cheek taking a picture. I don't think it's going to last. And I do not think oh, that they boy. should get married. I don't know. <laughs> <it> was-
0: <laughs> oh, well, I don't know what the state of their relationship is. I'm not sure you do either, but. Um, they've been together know.
2: for a year or so uh-huh. and she was at his campaign launch um, you know, last year. So I, I just So
0: because he, he wasn't mauling her on stage because he didn't do the Al Gore Tipper Gore kiss, by the way, how did that work out? Oh, um,
5: oh uh, you know, a little too soon there.
0: Because that didn't happen that they're they're not gonna make it? You no, know, I, mean... I just
2: my spidey senses. I cannot remember I tell you this when I go to a wedding, when the couple walks down the aisle, I know if they're gonna make it or if they're not.
0: Right. And Except... this
2: couple is not gonna make it. As a couple. Uh, I know they're not getting married.
0: And you even knew that uh, when you walked down the aisle the first time. That's how good your spidey sense is.
2: No, I knew. Uh Yeah.
0: Uh, Okay. Uh Uh, Why you did that anyway, that's a topic for another show. Probably a whole show. (laughs) Uh, All right. Maybe around Christmas time. Well, uh, you know, I'm a silly heart. Okay. You know, I uh, want the relationships to work. I'm (laughs) I'm all for love and people being in love and it all working out. Mm Mm-hmm that's sort of my calling card so you know i'm optimistic about the relationship
2: Yeah, it was just kind of sad because after you know the the debate everybody's children ran up and their spouses or their parents and he was kind of lingering by himself for a while and then it got a little longer and then his mom finally came up and then she came up and they took a picture uh, yeah
0: Yeah. uh, right i know you with the telestrator were doing the color commentary online
2: (laughs) that was the goofiest thing wasn't it but,
0: you know, also, too, if a if an old man, an aging bachelor like Tim Scott can mm-hmm. find love, then, you know, maybe there's hope for more of us. I don't for know.
2: For some guy named DP.
0: N- yeah, well, let's not get too crazy. Uh, all right. One of the other issues that should have been covered that wasn't. And this has been uh, sort of muted since the Twitter files. And it needs to be revisited now in the context of a presidential campaign, of course. That is the censorship industrial complex. The the, uh, collaboration between government and social media companies to turn off information that they don't want people to have, in addition to spreading information that turns out not to be true, but the information people don't want to have. We're seeing this right now, actually, with the Nashville School Shooters Manifesto and social media companies again coming in to censor that even though it's essentially been confirmed that those documents that were released are real, are authentic, because the city of Nashville is launching an investigation into the leaker. So this is this is real. And lest we forget the Russian collusion, which Ramaswamy reminded us of, lest we forget the Hunter Biden letter organized by animatronic Anthony Blinken, and former acting CIA director Mike Morrell, lest we forget all of the details in the Twitter files, thankfully brought to us by the Michael Schellenbergers and, uh, uh, and, and you know, and, and others, Matt Taibbi and others, uh, per Elon Musk. There's something happening here, and it's not being talked about. Uh, Mike Benz is talking about it. He's a former State Department uh, cyber official. He's now uh, founded the Foundation for Freedom Online. He wants to go back to when the Internet was not being uh, used in Orwellian fashion by government agencies. Now, And we also, by the way, have this Missouri v. Biden case that's pending, too, um, which is in part where we've gotten all this information about the nefarious activities of the leadership of these National Security and law enforcement agencies and social media companies. Well, there's a restructuring going on, according to Mike Benz. And this warrants consideration and comment. Take a listen.
8: The way the censorship industry is currently being restructured in anticipation of a devastating Missouri v. Biden ruling is to do a sort of middle-out restructuring. Whereas instead of having things run out of CISA at the DHS or or uh, or the State Department's Global Engagement Center, it would be run out of a what they what they're calling a middleware company, uh, a a censorship service provider who sits in the middle between the user and the platform but is intermediated by essentially intelligence agency and government and major government figures who inform that middleware censorship companies policies and filtering mechanisms so newsguard is an example of this newsguard of course has rick stengel on its board who ran the global engagement center at the state department Anders Fogh Rasmussen, who was the, the head of NATO for five years in the Obama administration, Tom Ridge, the former head of DHS, and General Michael V. Hayden, who was a former four-star general, head of the NSA, and head of the CIA. So that's who's in control, essentially, of the middleware censorship provider, who is now also doing censorship compliance for this new European Digital Services Act. They're trying to get congressional regulations to mandate middleware so that it looks like it's coming from the private sector when indeed it's again being intermediated by these intelligence cutouts.
0: That's a big deal because now you will never have the fingerprints of some official at DHS or CIA or NSA or DNI or the Pentagon or the state department. You won't have their fingerprints on it because the, the uh, former uh, leadership of some of those agencies has now put together this NewsGuard operation. Nobody needs to tell them what to do. They'll communicate with the social media companies as to what to censor or what to push, like the all the earmarks of a Russian co- uh, misinformation campaign, Hunter Biden laptop propaganda. Uh, that should concern us. CISA, he mentioned CISA, that's the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. By the way, that's the agency in charge with election security. You, you remember, remember when Chris Debs, uh, Chris Krebs, I, I'm sorry, um, who is the former head of CISA, spoke to 60 Minutes after the 2020 election? And he was one of those who came out and said, Nothing to see here. Let me refresh your recollection.
8: I have confidence in the security of this election because I know the work that we've done for four years in support of our state and local partners. I know the work that the intelligence community has done, that the Department of Defense has done, that the FBI has done, that my team has done. I know that these systems are more secure. I know, based on what we have seen, that any attacks on the election were not successful. There is no foreign power that is flipping votes. There's no domestic actor flipping votes. I did it right. We did it right. This was a secure election.
0: Um, Uh Rand Paul asked Chris Krebs later in Senate hearing, what about uh, the old regular kind of fraud? Yeah, maybe not uh, foreign actors compromising election security online or through Uh, alleged backdoors and voting systems and so forth. What about regular old fraud?
1: And the only last comment I would say on what Mr. Krebs, and he can speak for himself, but I think his job was keeping the foreigners out of the election. It was the most secure election based on security of the internet and technology. But he never has voiced an opinion he's welcome to today on whether or not dead people voted. I don't think he examined that. Did he examine non-citizens voting? So to say it was the safest election, sure. I agree with your statement, if you're referring to foreign intervention. But if you're saying it's the safest election based on no dead people voted, no non-citizens voted, no people broke the absentee rules, I think that's false, and I think that's what's upset a lot of people on our side, is that they're taking your statement to mean, oh, well, there was no problem in the elections. I don't think you examined any of the problems that we've heard here. So, really, you're just referring to something differently is what I, the way I look at it.
0: So there's the election security piece, and it's, as Rand Paul rightly points out, who, by the way, will be a Freedom Summit on Saturday as well.
2: Yes, and tickets are still available. You can purchase them at the door.
0: Uh, so there's, there's the cybersecurity piece, and then there's all of the other gambits that were afoot, from Zuckerboxes to uh, questions about people who couldn't vote voting the uh, improper in some jurisdictions, not in others, ballot harvesting and stuffing. Those are all questions. And yet we've got NewsGuard running. So, so that's that's one issue. And these uh, this web of agencies is all interconnected and talking to one another. And more or less, one could surmise reading from the same playbook. Same place. I mean, there certainly are in 2024 if they were in 2020, wouldn't you think? And then the research. Now, again, let's not lose our institutional memory here. Go back to the research that Harvard trained psychiatrist Robert Epstein produced and provided in a hearing before the Senate with our friend Dennis Prager. When Prager was talking about how Prager University is improperly censored by social media companies. And Robert Epstein was talking about how Google rigs the searches to move votes, and he estimated in 2016 they could have moved, round numbers here, between 2 and 10 million votes in the direction of Hillary Clinton. And how did that control of information, the manipulation of information, what people can and can't see, how many people can see and not see it? I mean, we, we did nothing. Republicans did nothing in advance of 2020. And then, of course, we have the high profile Hunter Biden laptop. The letter providing the cover for the D.C. press corps to spike the story and for the social media companies to limit. Americans access to it just in advance of the 2020 election. No one's talking about this. Mike Benz over the summer. Gave a nice tutorial on how this all works. He discussed a Washington Post article from June of 23 that was entitled, The Academic Studied Falsehood Spread by Trump. Now the GOP Wants Answers. And it involves this web of government-funded actors. Stanford, University of Washington, an organization called Graphica, the Atlantic Council. These are all government-funded. The Election Integrity Partnership, EIP, was uh housed at stanford it was a government cutout election integrity partnership this is newsguard 1.0 now we're at newsguard 2.0
8: the head of eip the election integrity partnership the head of the 120 person censorship consortium partnered with the department of homeland security even described his university department and EIP writ large as a government cutout.
2: There
6: was a a lack of capability around election disinformation. Um, This is not because CISA didn't care about disinformation, but at the time, they lacked uh, both kind of the funding and the legal authorizations um, to go do the kinds of work that would be necessary to truly understand how election disinformation was operating. So because right. of so the we're v- back- supposed
0: to trust these uh, leftist eggheads at Stanford to do the job the government can't do, just like social media companies were doing the job the government couldn't do. This is the basis of the Missouri v. v- Biden suit. I know there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of alphabet soup agencies, but the bottom line is – you still have an infrastructure still have. It is growing. It's getting more complicated and it's getting more difficult to stamp out, regardless of the Missouri v. Biden decision, because as you have heard from Mike Benz, they're already restructuring it. Anticipation of an adverse decision so they can do the same thing in twenty twenty four. They did in twenty twenty. What Republican is talking about that? Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com mobile.
0: Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773 467 5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.